AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 80 of AFF On Air. It's the 19th of March, 2022. As far as international borders go, Asia has been one of the last parts of the world to relax COVID-19 restrictions and reopen to tourists. But that tide is now starting to turn. Singapore and Thailand already reopened late last year, albeit with ever-changing restrictions and multiple COVID tests needed before and after arriving. Other countries in Southeast Asia are also now loosening their borders and starting to welcome back tourists, including Indonesia, the Philippines, Cambodia, Vietnam, and from next month, also Malaysia and South Korea. So what's it like travelling to Southeast Asia right now? Is it worth it? To find out, I'll be joined shortly on the podcast by Ben Bartlett, an Australian who recently visited Thailand and the Philippines. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And as well as Southeast Asia, Australians will finally be allowed to travel quarantine-free to New Zealand once again on the 13th of April, with the New Zealand government yesterday announcing the much-anticipated reopening of the country's border. From 11.59pm on the 12th of April, to be exact, Australians will be allowed to enter New Zealand without requiring any quarantine. Travellers will just need to be fully vaccinated and get a negative COVID-19 test before flying to New Zealand, as well as self-administering two rapid antigen tests after arrival and on day five or six. From 11.59pm on the 1st of May, New Zealand will then reopen to tourists from visa-free countries other than Australia, including the USA, the UK, Germany, Singapore, Japan and South Korea. New Zealand is currently experiencing its largest COVID-19 outbreak since the beginning of the pandemic. Air New Zealand is currently operating the vast majority of trans-Tasman flights, but Qantas will increase flights to Auckland and Christchurch from the 13th of April when the border reopens to Australians. Jetstar will also resume three flights a week from the Gold Coast to Auckland from the same date. LATAM Airlines, meanwhile, will resume flights between Sydney and Auckland later this month, with those flights continuing on to Santiago in Chile. And Qatar Airways will start selling seats on its fifth freedom route between Adelaide and Auckland from the 12th of April. Now, wouldn't that be a nice way to fly across to New Zealand in Qatar business class? That's Q-Suites. Virgin Australia, however, is not planning to return to New Zealand until at least November, when it will start flights only to Queenstown. New Zealand is not the only country in our region finally reopening to tourists and removing quarantine requirements. New Caledonia already reopened last week, and as previously mentioned, Vietnam opened up this week as well. On the 1st of April, Malaysia and South Korea will reopen to international tourists, and Cambodia has just scrapped testing requirements for visitors who are vaccinated. Qantas Frequent Flyer has launched its green tier, offering bonus points, status credits, and other exclusive rewards to frequent flyers who make more sustainable choices when they fly and at home. You can now earn Qantas Frequent Flyer green tier status by completing actions like offsetting carbon emissions, purchasing solar panels, or buying wine from an eco vineyard, among other things. After completing actions in five of the six green tier categories, you'll be given a choice of 10,000 bonus Qantas points, 50 status credits, or alternatively, you can choose to have Qantas purchase three tons of carbon offsets on your behalf. 
Jetstar has resumed flights to Bali for the first time in almost two years. Jetstar will initially operate just three flights a week from Melbourne to Bali at the moment, but plans to gradually increase services as demand increases. Indonesia, as just mentioned before, is now open to tourists as well, but there are still some entry requirements in place. Travellers from Australia would need a total of five COVID-19 tests to travel to Indonesia and back, and travellers must also book an approved hotel for the first four nights of their stay in Bali. Qantas will reopen its international business lounges in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane on the 27th of March 2022, as more international flights resume. This will relieve some of the pressure on the Qantas first lounges in Sydney and Melbourne, which have been operating for the last few months as hybrid business and first lounges, but have been getting quite full during peak times as more people return to the skies. Meanwhile, the reopening of the Qantas International Business Lounge in Brisbane on the 27th of March is just in time for the resumption of Qantas International flights from Brisbane to Singapore and also Brisbane to Los Angeles. 27 March also marks the date that Qantas will resume selling first class on its A380 flights from Sydney to Los Angeles. Qantas will resume also offering the full first class lounge experience in Sydney and Melbourne from that date, and it will be reopening the spa in those lounges and reopening the first class check-in area as well at Sydney International Airport. The Australian government has announced that it will end the ban on cruise ships sailing in Australia on the 17th of April. Cruise companies have reacted with delight to the news and some of them have started selling new cruise packages, but it's now up to individual state and territory governments to also remove their bans before cruise ships can sail freely again. Qantas has made it easier for businesses to achieve a higher level in its Qantas Business Rewards Program, while also increasing the benefits offered with each tier. Changes include larger discounts on flights and Qantas Club membership, as well as a new gold accelerator offer for businesses that make it to level 3 in the program. Qantas Frequent Flyer members who book through Qantas Business Rewards and earn points for their business will also now earn an individual flyer bonus of 250 Qantas points per booking for themselves. This is in addition to the usual Qantas points earned by the flyer and the Qantas business rewards points earned by the business. The Qantas call centre has come under fire again for routinely hanging up on customers. Recently, a huge number of Qantas customers have reported that their calls to the contact centre were disconnected or that they were hung up on by the Qantas call centre after being placed on hold. This seems to happen a lot when dealing with an offshore call centre. The problem is made worse by the fact that staff at these outsourced call centres so frequently place customers on hold, seemingly because they haven't been adequately trained and don't know what to do. Qantas knows about this problem, and many of the staff at the call centres are also aware of it as they're now promising to call back customers if their call gets disconnected. But this doesn't always actually happen, meaning customers often need to call again and go right to the back of the very, very long queue. Australian Frequent Flyer asked Qantas for a response about this issue, but they didn't really answer our question and said just citing high call volumes due to Omicron. A Qantas spokesperson did say, though, that the airline is introducing new processes around callbacks to make sure that operators are contacting customers if a call drops out. But this is really just a band-aid solution. It doesn't actually address the problem. Emirates has massively increased the carrier charges that frequent flyers need to pay when redeeming points or miles for reward seats on Emirates flights. Last month, the taxes and carrier charges on an Emirates business or first class round trip booking from Australia to London were around about $1,300 per person, which to be honest was already pretty high. 
Then two weeks ago, without any warning, Emirates increased this amount to $2,300 per person for a round trip to London. That's not even the worst part. A week later, so one week ago now, Emirates increased these charges yet again. So on the same booking from Australia to London, the taxes and carrier charges are now just over $3,000 per person. You could just about buy two economy class tickets for that price. It's ridiculous. The higher charges apply when redeeming both Emirates Skywards miles and points in other programs, including Qantas frequent flyer points for Emirates flights. Other Emirates routes other than Australia to London have also been similarly affected. Emirates may have a great business and first-class product, but these continuing changes to carrier charges make Emirates carrier charges now among the highest of any airline in the world. Virgin's Velocity Frequent Flyer program has officially announced that it will end its partnership with Delta Airlines on the 13th of June. From this date, Velocity members will no longer have access to status benefits or earn Velocity points or status credits with Delta. But you do still have until the 12th of June to redeem Velocity points to travel on Delta flights, and you can even book for travel dates up to 11 months into the future. Virgin Australia will commence a new partnership with United Airlines, another major US carrier, next month. Qantas is giving 30% off economy class classic flight rewards to selected domestic and international destinations until Sunday for travel dates from the 1st of May this year. And Singapore Airlines has brought back its popular Chris Flyer Spontaneous Escape Steals, which give 30% off selected flights in economy, premium economy and business class when booking at the last minute. Until the end of March, you can get 30% off Chris Flyer Saver Awards to over 50 destinations on the Singapore Airlines network, including all routes between Australia and Singapore, for travel dates in April or May this year. These Spontaneous Escapes promos were a monthly fixture pre-COVID, with offers released in the second half of each month for travel in the following month, but Singapore Airlines hasn't been doing this during the pandemic. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. Want to learn how to maximise the value in Frequent Flyer programs? If you're new to the Frequent Flyer points game, or perhaps you'd like to perfect your travel hacking strategy, you may be interested in the Frequent Flyer training program offered by our sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. The Frequent Flyer Solutions training consists of 10 easy-to-follow online courses with topics including credit cards, earning buying and redeeming points, airline status, hotel and supermarket loyalty programs, and how to find cheap flights. If you don't have hours to sift through online forums, the training explains clearly all of the tricks and strategies you need to know to make the most of your Frequent Flyer points and loyalty programs. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. So far this year on the AFF On Air podcast, I've spoken to Australians who've recently travelled to Canada, Fiji and the UK during this post-COVID era. In this episode, I'm joined by Ben Bartlett, who recently visited Thailand and the Philippines for a business trip. Thailand began reopening to tourists last year with entry to Thailand available via a test and go or the sandbox program. And the Philippines just reopened to tourists in February. So what's involved in traveling to these countries right now? And what's it like once you actually get there? To find out, let's welcome Ben now to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Ben, this wasn't actually your first overseas trip since the border reopened on the fir- the Australian border that is reopened on the first of November last year. You also travelled to the US on the very first day of the border reopening. How was that? Yeah, I was on the very first flight to the US, and I was in the Qantas first class lounge for to watch the very first flight, which is going to London, take off and see all the staff cheering and it was it was surreal um just to feel like you're getting back on a plane again i used to be out of the country every six weeks or so before covid did what covid did and so yeah it was quite a surreal feeling but i think um compared to the uh paperwork and confusion and otherwise around traveling into southeast asia looking back now the u.s was a dream it was easy (laughs) um so but not not to say that what I did through Asia was impossible and, and not that, you know, it's just a matter of lots of process, but we'll talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's talk about that because like travelling to Southeast Asia at the moment is a different kettle of fish to travelling to some of these other countries like the US or Europe even where there's no, even for Europe now, there's no testing or anything required for most countries. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not the, not the case, unfortunately, for places like Thailand, which was your first destination. So did you enter through the Test and Go or the Sandbox program? Yeah, Test and Go. Because I was only going to be there for a short period of time, um, made sense. Well, the only option uh, was test and go. So I was actually in Thailand for initially three days. It became four, but that's something I'll say in a minute. But so for the three days I was there, it was uh, just the quarantine, the test and go quarantine, which could take up twenty four hours, and then I had two days to do work, and then off to the Philippines was was the plan. So what what does the process actually involve, like from before you fly and then after you arrive in Thailand with the Test and Go program? So you have to do everything we all have to do to travel almost anywhere, which is to be double vaccinated, to have your test. Uh, mine was 48 hours before, so I ended up going to Melbourne Airport, um, which I think is something people a lot of people miss, but I went there the day before my flight, cost me $80 and I got a PCR result before I got home, um, which was brilliant. So I um, did that the day before, went through, flew with Singapore Airlines, went through uh, transiting in Singapore, and they've got rid of all requirements for transiting in Singapore, but just on that day or so. So it made that really easy. And then to get into Thailand, you have to have all those documents, and then you need to complete a Thai pass. And it seems on from what I've read online, a lot of people had some issues with the Thai pass process. For me, it was pretty straightforward. It didn't really tell you. It said you'll get back to you within the next 72, sorry, seven to five to seven working days. And I think I had my my Thai pass confirmation two or three days later. You certainly wouldn't want to leave it much longer than a few days before um, because you'd certainly get a bit nervous that you wouldn't get approved. But following their sort of um, their requirements and look, as a typical website that's been converted to English, there were things that were probably didn't really make sense, but it all worked in the end. Um, a little trick, I guess I was told, um, to speed things up, and I think it probably helped, was I, even though I had a full annual uh, insurance policy, I actually took up their local policy, which was referenced on the Pass website. I think it cost about 15 bucks, and it meant that the certificates were all in Thai. There was no confusion when I landed, people looking at that. It was easy to read. For the sake of one less thing to to basically be held up, because my Covermore insurance has got its PDS is hundreds of pages long, and you don't want them to misread something somewhere. So I just did the did the local insurance, and that 
that was that was easy. So that was a tie pass yeah. plus the insurance for 15, 20 million US dollars or something like that, which was crazy, but that's what they needed. Yeah, and the, the travel insurance is actually a requirement to visit Thailand now, right? You cannot travel there without it. Same in same in um, Philippines. Yeah, I think even to transit through Thailand, just through for an international flight, you also need travel insurance. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's crazy. So I got off the plane and there's actually, for those that have been to Bangkok before, you get off the plane, you go through immigration, you get your bags and off you go. Well, it's a bit different now. Um, yeah. You get off the plane, you go through to almost a holding location, just one of the on one of the walkways, and they check your paperwork. You have to then get that uh, checked. They jam, make sure you've got it. Then you go to the next stage where they then stamp and say yes, everything's correct. And then you get through immigration. Now I was um, one of the first off the plane, and so that helped. And I was straight through in minutes. But I'm guessing if you're at the back of a plane and and there were 300 people ahead of you, that could have added a bit of time to the journey. But then once you got through that, it was just exactly as you'd expect in the past, with the exception of no crowds. So there was no full immigration hall. It was an empty immigration hall, just walked up, um, showed them my paperwork, cursory glance, everything was was fine. Um, got my bags through customs again. We had very little interest in doing a whole lot there. It was easy. And then literally as soon as I walked out of the gates, there was a sign to the Marriott Market, as there was for Lots of hotels, and it says SHA Plus Hotels. You find your name of your hotel, and there was someone holding my sign, and I was uh, whisked into a Camry, which was very interestingly modified. So that actually put like a plastic bubble from the driver's seat back, so like a plastic wall, but uh, the the ceiling around it was average, but it was obviously trying to stop anything getting out to the driver. But it was much more than what you see in taxis in in Australia, where they try to protect the driver from from people. This was this was really trying to lock you away from them. But that's okay. That was that's life. Got into the Camry. I was then driven straight to a hospital not far from the hotel, where it was a drive through. So I just wound the window down for the back seat and got the swab test and then driven five or ten minutes to the hotel. Uh, that was just so easy. It was literally from when I got my bags to when I got to the hotel, it would have been maybe an hour and a quarter or so probably, and that's 45 minutes in the car normally, so it's half an hour inclusive of that getting the test and getting to the hotel. It was it was really easy. That was that was the you know, very much the easy bit. And so once the paperwork's done, the rest of it for me worked seamlessly then i checked in and it was exactly the same check-in process that i've and i've done at that same hotel i must have stayed there 10 or 10 or more times in the past and you know they treated you they don't treat you like you are a, a quarantining passenger you just walk up to the desk and check in and they just interestingly i hope i don't get them in trouble but they just gave me the room key now i've heard others get taken up to their room and they're not given a room key until they test negative um, I was just given the room key. Now, I stayed in my room because I didn't want the phone to ring and I wasn't there. But, yeah, it was up to my room and just then I had to wait for the test. When I checked in, I asked them how long and they said oh, around 12 hours was pretty normal at that point. Uh, so I expected at 9am that hopefully by 9pm I was free to go out and get out. But in the end, um, I had my test result back by 3pm. 
So I was just settling into some work when my phone rang and bang, I was free. Yeah, so with the test and go, you just have to quarantine um, until you get that first negative result from the on-arrival test, right? And then uh, do you need to do any more uh, COVID tests? Yeah, well, if I was going to stay there for any up, I think to the for the fifth day, so if I was there for four nights, um, I would have had to have done another PCR test. That And the funny thing was at the time, it's been changed since, but at the time I would have had to check back into a hotel, do a PCR test, be locked in my room again until I got a negative result again, despite the fact so that I've been free to run. So I, I made sure that I was out in, in three nights or um, or less. So, But now they've ditched that. And it's now just an antigen test on the fifth day, um, which is self-administered. Okay. So it's really not much now. Yeah, no, that, that seems definitely an improvement. The previous system made no sense at all. Um, no. Do you know what would happen if you tested positive on that on-arrival test? Uh, nothing good. Yeah. From what I can gather, um, they do have the option for hotel quarantine, um, but, I, but I believe it's at least seven nights. A friend of mine actually had tested positive three weeks earlier in Koh Samu and had 10 nights in, hosp- in a hospital because that was all that was available there. Bangkok, I would imagine, which from what I understood, it would have been a, uh, would have been a hotel, but I'm not sure which hotel and to what calibre of hotel. So that's not, a, not an attractive um, concept for, for much. I'd had COVID only about five, four weeks before I travelled, about five weeks before I travelled. So I felt fairly safe which is why I, I travelled, but really from almost now on, I'm back at, you know, I've still got a risk of catching it. So, yeah, it was on my mind, but it, I didn't think I had much chance of actually catching COVID. Yeah, I guess it's just a, one of those risks of travelling at the moment, but luckily you did get a negative test and you are able to leave, as you say, on that first afternoon and um, and just have a look around Bangkok. What? How did you find it when you were in Bangkok? I guess it probably wasn't the same as before COVID. It's sad. I mean, Bangkok... If you'd asked me two years ago, which city in the world would you live in, in Asia, I probably would have picked Bangkok. And it's not to say that I wouldn't now, but I probably would think more about it because it's a shadow of the city it was. It's a a city that relied heavily on tourism and suddenly there was no tourists. There were restaurants and uh, music bars that are famous for Western tourists to go into that were very popular that have just disappeared. There was a bar just up the road from the hotel, which had a vodka lounge sort of upstairs in like an ice in like an ice bar and, you know, great music, overpriced everything, but it was a nice place to have a quiet drink, gone and never coming back. And that picture is painted in all parts of Bangkok, but there are still signs of there's still signs of what used to be. Those that know uh, the Sukhumvit area, Soy Eleven is really popular for food. And most restaurants have survived. Some haven't, but most most are still there or variations of what they were. And that's great. Um, but you need a lot more tourists going to Bangkok before that place will start to, to wake up much more. As long as they still have these like test and go and the, the sandbox requirements, that's probably going to be a bit of a, <laughs> there's, there's oh, a... There's a bit of a disincentive to go at the moment for tourists. I think anyone that has risks being locked up in a hospital or whatever for a week if you test positive for something that you may not have a whole lot of symptoms from is going to be concerning a lot of people in terms of travel. And the cost too. I mean, the cost of tests is 100 bucks a test. Um, and if you've got to do one before, you know, for PCR still over there, it's over 100 bucks. So it's not cheap. 
Now, for the hotel in Bangkok, did you have to stay at a specific type of hotel for the first night? And how did, how did you find, like, which hotels are approved for that? Yeah, so I read a few websites, government websites, and it talked about the SHA and SHA Plus hotels. From what I can gather, the Plus hotels are just a slightly nicer hotel. So I ended up staying at an SHA Plus hotel. Um, I'd read somewhere that it was advised that you book direct if you can rather than through some of the other websites. So I... Just so there was no confusion, I actually just rang the Marriott Marquis where I'd stayed before and said, do you do SHA Plus programs? And in the end, I actually found it on the Marriott website to book it. Um, and they just said, yeah, book it on the website like this, then we'll send you emails. So they then sent me an email as soon as I booked it saying, send us your all your information, my vaccination certificate, my ticket, where I was going to be when, when I'd have to, when I was landing. It was as easy as that, just basically reply to a few emails or, two emails one when they sent it and one just a few days before and yeah done easy there's the test and go and there's also the sandbox program you did the test and go but um from what i can understand about the sandbox program there doesn't really seem to be any benefit of doing this nowadays no yeah it's something that i was reading about as well and yeah now um with the change in test and go and not needing a test on the fifth day there's really no reason you do Sandbox. So what is the Sandbox um, program, just just very quickly for people who might not be familiar? Well, what it was was that you had to spend seven nights, seven days, seven nights, I'm not sure which one it was, in uh, prescribed areas of Thailand. So initially it was set up for Phuket and then it was expanded into some other areas of Thailand, Koh Samui, I think, and then back into Bangkok. And basically you could go there, you get a test, wait for your result, then be able to basically roam around the sandbox area, so around Phuket, for instance, you couldn't leave that area. And then on the fifth day, get another test. If it's negative, you're free. Off you go. Um, it's very similar now to what test and go actually is. So the advantage there was at the time there was no test and go. That was the only option. Um, so I don't know why anyone would do sandbox now um, when they've got test and go available to them. Yeah, as far as I can see, the requirements are basically the same, except with Sandbox, uh, you have to stay within, I think there's three locations, Bangkok, Phuket, and there was one other. Which, thank you. Um, but then you, ha- you still have to get the PCR test on arrival and uh, isolate yeah. till the result. But then And then you have to get another PCR test on day five. And you also ha- cannot leave that, uh, you know, Phuket or Bangkok or Koh Samui for seven days. Whereas with test and go, you don't have to get a PCR test on day five anymore, just a, a rapid antigen test and you're, and you're free to travel around. So it doesn't Correct. serve any anyway. advantage at all. Not anymore. So there, there you go, guys. If you want to go to Thailand, test and go is the way to go. Um, Indeed. You, you also traveled on the same trip to the Philippines. So what was that like flying from uh, Thailand to the Philippines? Well, I missed my first flight, which was oh, exciting. Because I, um, Australia has a three-day requirement to have your PCR test done before you go. Other places run judged in hours. I misread my requirements for the Philippines and thought it was two days, not 48 hours, and my test was taken 50 hours before my flight and Thai Airways uh, just said, sorry, can't let you on board. You know, your test is old. You'll have to do another one, and there's nowhere near in – in Bangkok Airport, you can't get a PCR test. There's nowhere in Bangkok Airport to get Gee, a PCR test. That sounds test. like an oversight. Yeah, it's, it's bizarre. So I could get an antigen, but antigen at the time wasn't accepted into Philippines. I don't know if it is yet. They were talking about it, but no, I couldn't do anything. So I had to actually go back 
into Bangkok, get the uh, get another test, wait a day, um, and rechange all my connections. And I had a lot of connecting flights once I got to the Philippines, so that was that was painful. But anyway, um, after that, getting you've got to apply for a thing called One Health Pass to get into the Philippines. And so I'd applied for that. The annoying thing about One Health Pass was that you can't do it too far in advance. You know, you start to apply three days before. Uh, so when I was traveling already, I actually forgot about it until nearly 24 hours before I left. Um, but fortunately, unlike the Thai Pass, it took three days. This one was almost instantaneous. Okay. So that was, it's really just a, just checking a box, but it was annoying that you couldn't do it a week before or so. You get, you had to wait to the last minute almost. Um, but no, once I got that, it was easy. Again, very similar to Bangkok where there was this check of your papers before you could go through to immigration. Did that, got through immigration in record time for Manila. Um, I think I was from when I got off the plane to when I was looking for a taxi, it was 15 minutes. Um, which anyone who's done Manila, it's unheard of in, that airport. It's just and we're talking, and I was flying Philippine Airlines at this time, so it was the worst airport. It's the worst terminal, everything else. So yeah, it was brilliant. So in and out really quick. Then I was free to do to Rome anywhere. It was like Bangkok. I mentioned, I wanted to say to you before, uh, in Philippines, it's masks everywhere, inside, outside, everywhere. And Bangkok, they were pretty strict on it. And same in Manila. In uh, other parts of the Philippines, they weren't quite as strict, but certainly in the major cities, there was very much a very strict rule. So you get very hot and sweaty. Um, it's not a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, I can. I, that doesn't sound too appealing. I've heard this like similar sort of things for Dubai and places like that, where you know, hot climate, humid, and you have to wear masks all day. It doesn't sound the best. Even if you're like sitting on a beach in Thailand or the Philippines, would you have to be wearing a mask? Yeah, uh, theoretically, yes. Theoretically, uh, yeah. the beach I walked on briefly. There wasn't a whole lot of mask wearing, um, but neither was there in that area, full stop. But everyone sort of had a mask around their chin um, oh, okay. or near them. But so, yeah, but again, if you're swimming in the water, no. Yeah, but other than that, obviously. Expected yeah. to be wearing, I know, but yeah, other than that, so basically, if you're sitting on the beach, you meant to be wearing a mask, which is just crazy. Yeah. How, how was it in Manila? I mean, it, it was a huge, vibrant city before COVID. Has it changed much? Unfortunately, the traffic is still there. Oh. Um, <laughs> So I was sort of hoping that maybe things had sort of died down a bit and traffic would be a bit better. Now, look, you know, in actual fact, uh, Manila felt much more like Manila than Bangkok felt like Bangkok. And I think that's because Manila isn't really a tourist mecca. You don't go, you don't think to yourself, I want to have a great trip in Asia, I'm going to go to one of the best cities in the world, I'm going to go to Manila. Um, and it's not a great city for that, for, for travel or for tourism. So I think they've managed to bounce back a bit quicker than somewhere like Bangkok. Okay. Well, just finally, Ben, uh, if someone's listening to this and thinking about taking a holiday in Thailand or despite what you just said, also the Philippines, um, do you think it's mm -hmm. worth visiting right now or do you think they should wait? Oh, look, as I said about the Philippines, I was talking about Manila, but the Philippines have got some beautiful places to visit yeah, no, as well. Absolutely. I'm, I was joking. I know, um, but it's it's not that hard to travel to these places. You have to factor in the risk of actually contracting COVID. But I would say that if you want to go, you can go. And it's not, and you can, I think one of the reasons that I was really happy to, to chat with you was that I know a lot of people have said on you know, AFF and otherwise that it's, you know, oh, I think it's going to be too hard. It's, it's really not too hard. You can do it. You've just got to factor in the risks. Um, and if you're comfortable with that, yeah. It's actually a great place to be. Hotels in Bangkok are so cheap right now. There's the every taxi driver will be so happy to have you 
in their taxi, the feeling of, oh, it's so good to have people back. You won't get that in a few months' time, maybe six months' time, they'll get over it. So now's the time to, to do that and feel like you're really helping these guys out as much as anything else. Oh, that's great. Well, if you'd like to read more about Ben's experience with Thailand's Test and Go scheme, Ben's AFF handle is Ben's Adventures, and he's posted a thread on AFF in the Trip Reports forum. It's called Thailand Test and Go in Bangkok in, to, in February 2022. And I'll post a link to that in the episode notes as well. Well, thank you very much, Ben, for coming on and sharing your experience with me. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And that's all for episode 80 of AFF On Air. Thanks again to my guest, Ben Bartlett, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Listener.